All right, we're back on this week's edition of Worst Seats in the House. We're at Split Rocks in Wyoming. We have an intimate gathering tonight because the as it happens every time we schedule a show here, there's a winter storm warning or bad snow, bad roads. In fact, we did happen to see a rollover in the ditch on the way up here, so it was probably legit this time around. But we'd almost hand out microphones to the crowd tonight, but we'll we'll save it for later. We're joined by a very special guest, Michael Russo's on assignment this week. So Kevin Gorg from Bally Sports North joins me, and always great to catch up with Kevin. There's always good stories, so we'll put him on the spot later. Feel free to fire some questions at Kevin as we proceed with the show, but I appreciate you making the drive. This is a long haul from the Southern Metro. Yeah, and I, you know, we've had some bad luck together with this weather and driving. I wasn't going to so. ride with you. <laughs> no, I didn't end up in the ditch, and uh, it was a lovely drive, and it's great to be here in Wyoming. It's an exciting time of year. I, I, I just think watching the game last night, knowing now that the Wild are in a comfortable spot, looking at some playoff matchups that might be there. Uh, it's an exciting time to be a fan of this hockey team, and, and last night was just a crazy hockey game. You know, let's start with this stretch for the Wild. Four games in a row were on the road. We had a little break in between stopping at home, but it's really amazing when you think about what happened. It started in Winnipeg, and they get the win against the Jets, but lose Kaprizov on the Stanley hit. Continues in San Jose, the wild game in Arizona with four fights, a uh, loss in overtime where they blow a two-goal lead late against the Coyote team that has done that to them twice now in that building. And then they end up with the bizarre game in St. Louis on Wednesday night. It Really a crazy four-game stretch for Minnesota, but it could be a season-defining four-game stretch because they went 3-0-1 and, in my opinion, virtually locked up a playoff spot with that with that run. I completely agree. And and if you really look at these four games and consider who's missing and Kaprizov being the, the biggest factor, I would argue that they probably haven't played their best hockey within these four games. But the cool part of this team right now is they are finding ways every single night to put themselves in a position to get at least a point or to win a hockey game. And you know, you look at these four games and I'll we'll go back to Winnipeg. They looked like a tired team. They relied on their goaltender. And they just kind of fought their way through it. They got better as the Goal game went game on. The game was stolen by the goaltender. 100%. That outshot like 46-23 or something like that. And I know we, Michael and I have talked about the, I don't know if you ever look at the Money Puck website with their deserve to win meter on For there. For sure. And on that night, Winnipeg's deserve to win meter was like 80%. The, the flow of the game favored them 80%, and yet Minnesota won the game. Well, they got the great night in gold. And I'd argue on the weekend, they won the game they should have lost. They lost the game they should have won. I thought they played far better in Arizona than they played in San Jose. There were stretches of that first half of that game in San Jose where the Sharks were literally all over the wild, but once again, got a great game in goal, weathered the storm. And then in the Arizona game, you, ta- you talked about it. These last two games in particular, um, just throwback games to the 80s. I mean, we don't normally see four fights in a game. We don't see goalies squaring off. This has been chaotic. I think it'll come back to... There'll be a regression to the mean this weekend where we're going to get back to seeing tight, low-scoring, three-two types of games against two very good teams in Boston and Washington. But, you know, kudos to the team for finding a way to get it done through this stretch. Well, and I, so you mentioned the injuries. This stretch has been played without Jonas Brodin, three out of the four without Kirill Kaprizov, two out of the four without Marcus Foligno. It's amazing what they've been able to do with these guys. So on one hand, you look at it and you, I think you're – term was perfect, that they find ways to win because the, they're in a 14-game point streak, longest in the history of the franchise. And the first 10, they were doing it in spite of being the lowest scoring team in the NHL. Think about that for a minute. 10-game stretch, no team in the NHL had fewer goals scored over that same stretch, and yet they had points in all of them. And now these last games where they needed a little more offense, the only loss, they scored four in Arizona in, in the OTL eight uh, match a franchise record in St. Louis. So we've been talking throughout this second half about how maybe the tight defensive style would be more conducive to playoff success. This was the one thing we were wondering is, could they, if needed, score their way out of trouble in a game? And perhaps we saw we learned that during this four-game stretch. And I think we're also learning that Bill Guerin made some, some pretty important moves the week of the trade deadline that have changed the complexion of the way this team can attack offensively. I think Matt Boldy's been dramatically better in this recent stretch of hockey. And I don't think it's any coincidence that Marcus Johansson has showed up on that second line and really ignited that line. I love what Klingberg is bringing offensively 
to this team. He scored a huge goal in that game last night in St. Louis. And I think if you were around the team, see the way these guys are all getting along and the way it's kind of meshed together. You know, Bill Guerin made some important moves, and it's not only working on the ice, it's working off the ice. And now with these injuries, that depth has really made a difference. Well, sometimes when you give a guy the opportunity to be the man, you get a, a different look at him, and maybe they're seeing that in Matt Boldy. But I think it also coincides with the addition of Marcus Johansson. And be curious your thought on it. I, I asked Billy about it. I asked Michael about it on last week's show that there might be some similarities. They're not the same guys, but some similarities between the dynamic of Zuccarello and Kaprizov, where Matt Zuccarello, a proven scorer in the NHL, back end of his career for certain, and seemed to revitalize it when all of a sudden he was paired with Kaprizov. Young star player, bringing energy, and Zuccarello talked a couple of times over the last two years saying, it's like I turned back the clock, I've never had more fun playing hockey, all those kind of things. Maybe you could see some of the same thing develop with a guy like Johansson, proven not scorer at the Zuccarello level, but a proven guy that could score in the NHL, great skater, creative offensive mind, and now you put him with a guy like Matt Boldy, a young star player, and we maybe see him capture something in his game we haven't seen, and at the same time drive Boldy. And I don't think it's coincidence that, yes, part of it was Kaprizov going down and Boldy's opportunity, but the other part is he's playing with Johansson over this stretch. And I'm not going to call him Kevin Fiala, but he is a player that plays with speed, that has offensive skill, and Matt Boldy, in the short time we've had a chance to get to know him as, as a hockey player, has always been better when he's out there with players that push the game and push the offensive side of things. We saw it with Kevin Fiala. We saw a glimpse of it in, in a small sample size with Sammy Walker, and we're seeing it with Marcus Johansson. He has, he has changed the complexion of that line. Oldie's playing his best hockey of the season. And Johansson's a guy that, because, again, Kevin Fiala's a guy that's always going to be more of a threat to score than Johansson, but he sees the game in a very similar fashion. He knows how to get to open ice. He knows how to create space. And now we're seeing Boldy realize that he has to be more aggressive shooting the puck. And to your point, maybe it's the fact that Kaprizov's not out there, but he looks like a player that wants to be the man. And that's great to see in a 21-year-old kid. So normally on these shows, and you've spent a little bit of time with our good friend Michael Russo over the years, and, <laughs> and he has a, a tendency to see the glasses either half empty. I've always kidded that you see the glass not just as half empty, but like broken and there's glass everywhere and there somebody's going to cut their feet. And so really interesting when you look back how recently, and I'll never forget, we had the discussion sitting in the dining room at the XL Energy Center. and I remember the, it. And the two of you were questioning when you said, you think this team's a no-brainer playoff team? And it was before we played Dallas during that seven-game homestand. It was right and after the Colorado game, right? It was right after the Colorado game. It was after they had lost the first three out of the break, but came home, the third of which was the first home game against Vegas. And then they had beaten somebody, and then they lost to Colorado. And the They should have won was, that game. We were very frustrated. Right, at that and the time next game sure. was Dallas. And, and I'll, I'll never forget that. And I, I don't bring it up to say, like, see, I told you so. I, just, I bring it up to say it's amazing how different it looks right now because that was the start of this point streak for Minnesota. And it's crazy how all of a sudden one or two find a way type nights where they, they found a way to win a couple of these two to one, two to zero games. They got the shutout in Columbus that, that we, even though Columbus played pretty well and then came from behind to beat Columbus at home, games that, that are the type that were slipping away from them from time to time just prior to that. And now they're the games that, they just found a way to win and how different it felt fast. One month. I mean, they mentioned it last night during the, the national TV broadcast. It's exactly one month since this thing started when they lost that game to Colorado, played one of their best games of the season and walked away a very frustrated hockey team. To the Wilds' credit, they would not quit. They are a resilient bunch. Things have changed. You know, the trade deadline came up. Everything kind of meshed together because right before the trade deadline, they started to win the games you're talking about to give Bill Guerin really the motivation to go out there and make some moves rather than being a seller, which a month ago right now, if you would have asked the average wild fan on the street, they would have said sell for sure. It all changed in that one month. And it's amazing. It just reminds you in sports how quickly, especially in an 82 game schedule, things can flip upside down. Now it's taken a run of 11, 0 and three 
to get there. Right, but you would have never thought 11-0-3 was possible. I mean, no way. out of all the no teams way. we've watched, and you say which wild team rips off 14 in a row with a point, I don't think anybody would have picked this no year's edition of the club. I would not have. And the goaltending has been the catalyst, not in these last two games. I think both Gus and Flower probably had nights the last couple times they played where they would admit they weren't there at their very best. But throughout a bulk of this month, their numbers were as good as any goaltender's numbers in the league. And that gives the team confidence. And they just seem to be feeding off each other. And you know it, Anthony, from being out on the road with these guys, they're a happy bunch of guys. Like, they truly enjoy spending time together. Now, we left Arizona after that game over the weekend. But I love, you know, clicking on social media and seeing some of the players at the water park going down the slide, the guys on the golf course. I love that stuff because... We've all been around and, and either coached or played team sports. When when the team wants to be together, when the team is like connected like that, they're going to be better in tough spots down the road, and you see that with this hockey team. Yeah, and that was one of the big concerns for Billy bringing guys in. I think he's been really careful about the guys he's brought in over the last couple of years to make sure they were guys that were going to fit in because he didn't want to disrupt what he had. But let's talk about last night's game in St. Louis, the Wednesday night game bizarre and I want to I was curious about your perspective from a goaltender's perspective and there's a lot of things in play there number one the play that starts all of the the well actually it was before that which was kind of right up your alley from Bennington going over and mouthing off to the bench listen now I might have mouthed (laughs) off to the St. John's fans when you were in college I never took any liberties with the opponent the first time that Kevin and I well, I think we've shared some of these stories oh, but the God. the first time Kevin and I ever crossed paths oh jeez he was playing goalie for St. Thomas I was doing radio for St. John's University and St. Thomas was a lot better than St. John's back in those days they were the premier team in the league St. John's was a middle of the pack team most years but we were playing up at the whatever the St. Cloud County Arena was and there were only fans behind one side behind one net and so, of course, that was the net where the Johnnies scored twice. And our broadcast position was actually above the net on the other end of the ice. So <laughs> it was a terrible place from which to call a game. But St. Thomas was up in this game big, like 6-1 to one or something. And all of a sudden, the Johnnies started to come back, and the fans were all over Kevin Gorg. They were. And it was the, the Gorg sucks chants were going. And, and all of a sudden, St. John scores a couple. And it's 6-3, to three, and it's 6-4. to four, And... And Kevin, who had been talking to the post earlier in the game, now is maybe might have been yelling at the post. It didn't look like the conversation was as happy. No. And all of a sudden, at one point, St. Thomas then scores, and Kevin skates around behind the bench and gives the crowd. I gave off a little the business and, there. I did. And, I didn't flip mob. I gave him a little business. A little yeah. bit of a like one arm went up in the air while the well, other hand was on the bicep. But, I did the Alex Galagoski. Yeah. I did this. You know, yeah. I did the thing. But and no, was, that was the first time we ever crossed paths. I, I, we didn't even, I didn't know him. We didn't, we weren't talking or anything, but it's like, look at who is this guy <laughs> down the other end. So it, we'll get back to some of the other Gorg LaPanta stories later. But last night, Jordan Bennington skates by the wild bench and starts chirping. Now this guy's had some issues this year. Earlier in the year, Craig Berube went to the point where he just said, I just wish he'd focus more on stopping the puck than all the other stuff going on on the side. He went out and slashed a guy behind the net earlier had a couple trips that I remember, but last night he's in the middle of this. And to be in the middle of this as you're getting lit up seemed really strange. As a goaltender, it just, it felt to me like you're in a season. It's not like you're about to win the Vesna. I mean, wouldn't you just, would this be the right or the wrong time to be skating by a bench and chirping at guys? I was surprised. And, you know, to TNT's credit last night, they got a good a good look at it. He was in it with both Reeves and Shaw, and he actually pulled his mask up as he skated by to to give them whatever he was going to say. And I'm like, "What are you doing here?" And and clearly, he's a frustrated hockey player. You know, he was unbelievable uh, a few years ago when they went on their Stanley Cup run. He hasn't been the same since. He's been fighting the puck and fighting his game. For the most part, the starter last year in the playoffs. Exactly. He came in late and won the series, but he wasn't the guy they went to in game one. I'd argue last night that if he just shuts his mouth and plays, even if he's as mediocre as he's been, it's a different game. He he put the, the log on the fire that ignited that wild team, and then it boiled over when he went over and, and gave the blocker to the chin 
to Hartman, and, and we yeah. know Hartman right. walks that so line. I, let's go back to that play because I felt the I I still feel, and I haven't had a chance to talk with our guys yet. I think the referees got it right. I think Hartman could have done more to avoid contact. I think it was one of those accidental on purpose collide with them kind of thing. Just I'm going to get under his skin a little bit. I love the fact that it, it, that started the whole thing. For sure. So you give the other guy five in a game, you got to give the guy who delivered the first blow two minutes. 100%. And so now, let's, again, I'd like to hear it from a goaltender's perspective. Obviously, some frustration sets in, but those are the plays where goalies are asking to be protected. If, if Bennington hasn't been mouthing off earlier in the game, maybe Hartman doesn't make contact with him. But from a goalie's perspective, what's your, what's your thought on that play? Well, clearly he was in the wrong. I mean, you're you're. I'm talking about even just the contact part from Hartman. I mean, is that it, something that nothing like nothing that should bother you? Nothing, nothing that, that should bother you. When a player, when you charge out of the crease, which he was outside the crease after the goal, he had made a play. It didn't work. The puck went in. His momentum took him outside the crease. When you leave the crease and you're in a prone position, you know you're going to get bumped. That bump did nothing. There was no pain involved. It wasn't egregious. He was looking for a reason to erupt, and I, I really think he overreacted. He made it more about him than the team, and I think it all tied back to the chirping and, and the way he was handling the stress of whatever he's going through as he struggles through this season as the Blues play out the strings, but it clearly was not that big a deal. I agree. Hartman maybe could have avoided some of that contact. It wasn't like it was egregious. So, no, he completely overreacted. Yeah, so let's assume that play happens where it's not a goaltender and Nothing Hartman happens. makes a little contact with somebody and the other guy comes over and delivers it. It's going to be two for the guy who delivered the first hit. For and sure. that, so I think they got that part right. Now let's – how about the flurry part, the flurry role in this? He immediately sees Bennington losing his mind and flies down the ice, takes his helmet off, drops the gloves – and wants to go. Now, nobody wants to see Marc-Andre Fleury fight. They, they barely want to see Duhame and Felino fight. For, the last thing you need is somebody to get injured in that spot. But the reaction from the wild players when he skated down there gives you an idea of just how respected he is and how much those guys truly buy and believe in him as a team guy. So, again, from the, your perspective as a goaltender, have you ever been in a – Leave the crease. To- I squared off. Yeah. I was, and it's funny. I got this question a couple times today on Twitter. Um, we had a bench clearing brawl in Des Moines with the Buccaneers when I played in the USHL back. Was in that 86. the team that was eight and sixty? Eight and sixty-four <laughs> in a seventy-two game schedule. <laughs> I, I mean, I got. I, I mean, I literally just got abused that year. But there was a bench clearing brawl. We were playing Thunder Bay in Des Moines on a Saturday night. A terrible hit. Guy gets clocked. Bench is clear. So all I did is square off. We were never going to fight, and it was never going to happen. But we just we threw our gloves down, and we just grabbed each other. Everybody had a dance partner. There were four or five fights, but I was never going to fight because I would I would have gotten killed. So like Flurry, I, I think this was the perfect storm for the Minnesota Wild. You love to see him stand up for his teammates. The only guy that can square off with Bennington is the other goalie. There's a code in the game. No regular player is going to skate in and take on a goalie. That, Will never happen. So Flurry took it upon himself to skate down there. Whether he wanted to or not, it sure looked like he wanted to go. His team went crazy on the bench. To your point, it was awesome. And thank God he didn't fight because we all see Marc-Andre Flurry off the ice. This guy is a twig. He's in great shape, but he's a tiny guy. He is not it's Ryan amazing Reeves. how small he is. It's, I can't get over because he looks so different in the net. But we do not ever want to see Marc-Andre Flurry in a fight. We've lost enough players. You rattled off a couple, but you know Hartman's had an issue. Felino now Duhame. We don't need Mark Andre Fleury dropping the gloves. Thank God nothing came of it. As we've been doing throughout the state hockey tournament, the hockey tournament playoff run, we've got a trivia question for you. If you have the right answer, go to talknorth.com/contests. Put your answer in. We'll pick from the correct answers. So this year's tournament featured a great finish in the Class A championship game Montemedia handed World their first loss of the season so our trivia question is who was the last team that successfully completed an undefeated season with a state championship go to talknorth.com slash contest submit your question the winner will get a $25 gift card to Moe's Moe's is a great spot Moe's uh, at it's inside Fogarty Arena up in Blaine 
terrific menu, and I know that they've expanded their pizza menu recently. It's a great place to watch a game. Go check it out. Terrific menu. They've got great sandwiches, great burgers, and check out their flatbread pizzas. They're outstanding. You won't be disappointed. You want great quality drinking water? What about great quality drinking water you can get right from your sink and your fridge? You can eliminate plastic water bottles and have convenient, worry-free drinking water. It's great for coffee, tea, cooking, and of course, drinking. Well, Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut has a variety of water treatment options for you to get the quality water you deserve, and they offer a free water analysis. Their trusted specialists will come visit your home and will provide quality options that make sense for you and your home. Contact Aquarius Home Services in Connecticut for a free water analysis. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention Russo sent you. Royal Credit Union's smart checking accounts offer no monthly fees and no minimum balance. Make the switch to a Royal checking account and you'll also get real-time transaction alerts, free mobile check deposits, and surcharge-free access to over 40,000 ATMs across the U.S. Enjoy financial freedom with no minimum balance and no monthly fees when you switch to Royal's smart checking account. Learn more and open your Royal Credit Union smart checking account online at rcu.org slash go checking. Insured by NCUA. You talked earlier about the chemistry this team has, and, and I'd, I'd like to go a little deeper with it, specifically related to Flurry, because the way the guys have respected him since the day he walked in, and it's, there's just something different about watching a Hall of Fame guy wearing a wild sweater, walking down the tunnel, walking down the hallway, the way he carries himself, the, he's such a professional, and, but just a, a warm and giving and accommodating guy. I think he's done so much off the ice to affect, and not just the other goalies, to affect this entire roster since his arrival here, that in and of itself would have been worth the deal that brought him here last year. 100%. And when you talk to some of these players, whether it's the experienced players, you mentioned Zuccarello, I'll mention Matt Dumba, but then when you talk to some of the young guys and you see their eyes just light up, talking about guys like Dewar and Shaw and Duhame, and I'll take us back to trade deadline day up in Calgary. All the dust settles. Billy Guerin makes these exciting moves. Everybody's buzzing at the hotel. And there's Marc-Andre Fleury setting up a vehicle to come to the hotel late afternoon to go see Creed Three, And he's the guy that's taking all those young guys that basically grew up idolizing and watching this guy win Stanley Cups when they were still little kids playing youth hockey. Let's go to the movies together, guys. That's the guy that Marc-Andre Fleury is. And he's remarkably good as a teammate, as a human, and... It comes back to our general manager. I'm I just getting to know Bill Guerin, the attention to detail. I tell my buddies, what do you think of Guerin? Well, listen, he's won multiple cups as a player. He's won multiple cups on the management side. He knows what a cup winner looks and smells like, and it isn't just about the guys on the ice. It's about the entire group and how connected they are, and he's done a brilliant job. And Marc-Andre Fleury coming in, it's been up and down on the ice. It's been mostly good, but, you know, we saw the playoffs last year. It didn't go great. But you can't argue what the impact he's had in this organization. No, and his I went I go back to the professionalism, the, how hard he works. Yeah, he's he's slim and he's he's a small guy, but he's incredibly fit. Yep. And you see him like the other night when we were in Arizona. Game's over. Everybody has the day off tomorrow. He knows it. He's out there getting his workout in when the game was over that night because he knows tomorrow it's a it's a day off and and I can't I don't let my body go. And it's, it's impressive to see him. How about the impact he's had on Gustafson? I, I don't know great. if we could ever measure it, but Gustafson's a guy that came into camp and it was well documented that he wasn't in great shape. The practice habits weren't there. The time he has spent with Marc-Andre Fleury, we'll never know, but there's a ripple effect that's going to pay off for years to come because of the impact that Marc-Andre Fleury has had on this young man. He's a big piece of this organization moving forward. And again, it's, it's that ripple effect that you get from bringing in the player that is Mark Andre Fleury. So we're gonna we want to welcome some questions from you guys as we go here tonight, and and I want to get back to like looking ahead now for what's down the road for this Wild Club and the the playoff races, which are exciting. But before it just before we jump into that, we're coming off of one of the most incredible Minnesota high school hockey tournaments that oh. we've seen. And as I was sitting here thinking, like going back to the Lapanta Gorg crossover stories, and the next time that we met was when you were coaching high school hockey at Burnsville. And the, this, the reason this triggered in my mind, we watched a bunch of the tournament this year, which was fun. So let's, we'll talk about that. But if you remember, 
You guys were facing Jefferson down at Mariucci Arena in the section final. Unfortunately, I do and, remember this. Yeah, and, and it was <laughs> this was during Jefferson's three-peat. And, and I, we had a sideline reporter named Tarmo Kubitz who, well, he was actually my color guy, but he was going to run down to interview the coach after the first period. I think it was four zip after the first It was period. five. Might have been five, yeah. It was five. It was, I know it was one-sided. And I remember saying to the producer, we better have something else ready for this intermission because there's a pretty good chance the coach is going to say, it's five nothing. I'm not. I'm not coming out to do an interview, and so I can hear through the wireless microphone that Tarmo has with him down there that he's like, "No, he's coming. He's walking down." <laughs> I was like, "I'll be damned." So Kevin comes over, and I mean, this is the Crowley, Bianchi, Treble, Checo, Jefferson teams, right? And they are dominant. And Kevin comes over, and the first question was something along the lines of, "Well, Kevin, it's." It's five nothing after one. You know what do you what do you have to do better in the second period? Well, Tarmo, look, it's, I'm not going to lie to you. Not much is going well out there in this period, and so and we're just all kind of chuckling a little bit. I mean, it, how can you not? You feel badly for this coach who's over there, but so and the reason I bring it up is because you had tried to shadow Mike Crowley that night. We just watched a team do that in this year's state final. The Wanamidi decides they're going to shadow Shagabay all night, Mr. Hockey from Warroad, and it paid off. They won the state championship. And he's a forward, and it's a lot easier to pull that off. And so we had played Jefferson early in the year, conference opponent, went to Bloomington, got our doors blown off, 9-2. to two. They were killing everybody. So fine, we get beat 9-2. I'm a first-year coach. I'm like, we got to do something different. So they're coming back to Burnsville much later in the season. And I'm like, we have to figure out a way to slow this machine down. And Mike Crowley was the best offensive defenseman I had seen since Phil Housley. So this kid was pretty remarkable. So we decided to shadow a D-man. We have our fastest guy go out there and, and shadow their best player. And we lose 4-3 at Burnsville. So I'm like, this, this worked. So like a typical dumbass rookie coach, <laughs> we're going to Mariucci, which is an Olympic-sized sheet. I don't change one thing. And I'm staring down Tom Satterdolan, one of the greatest coaches in the history of high school hockey in Minnesota, and I make not one adjustment. And to parlay that, we had a senior that along the way during section playoffs blew out his shoulder. Emotional kid, one of our leaders. I decided to have him read a poem to the guys right before we go on the ice. We don't need motivation. We're playing the number one team in the state in front of 10,000 people at Mariucci, but yet the rookie head coach says, yeah, why don't you read the poem? We're all in tears. And not making excuses. We were never winning that game. So we go out, we get beat 10 to 1 in a section final. And at the time, I'm a grade school FIED teacher out in North St. Paul at St. Peter's Grade School. First year teacher. I do playground duty so I can eat free school lunch. It's awesome. And I'm out in the playground and it's chaos. Kids are running. There's, you know, kids fighting and I'm breaking up this and breaking up that. This third grader comes running up, Mr. G, Mr. G. I'm like, yeah, yeah Billy, what do you need? He goes, what time is it? And I said, you know what? I didn't, I didn't put a watch on today. This is before cell phones. I said, but you know, the bell will be ringing soon. I know it's a little cold, but we'll be going in shortly. Oh, no, no, no. Is it 10 to 1? And I'm like, oh, my God, I just got <laughs> taken deep by a third grader that wanted to rub it in that I got beat 10 to 1 in the section final. A third grader. Now, his dad probably put him up to it. Maybe his dad was a former Jefferson graduate. I have no idea, but it was embarrassing. You should have said, hey, I got a poem for you, kid, if you want to, <laughs> want to settle down oh, a little that bit. poem yeah. will live on in infamy. That was like something in the Titanic as they played that music, and the, yeah, ship went down. It was ugly. But so anyway, let's go back to this year's tournament. We had a chance to watch a lot of high school hockey this winter together, called a bunch of games together. We saw some of the best teams. In fact, we saw all the teams that were in it at the end. What a tournament. Might awesome. have been as good a tournament as I can remember with all the overtimes and dramatic finishes, late goals to push games into OT. Yeah, usually it's one side of the tournament that dominates the great games, the classic games. But this year, to your point, it was both A and double A. And then when you get a championship Saturday where Matamidi pulls off that remarkable comeback, they're down 5-3, they rally to tie it, they win it in overtime. And then you see the number one team all year long, Minnetonka, get pushed to the wire. And Edina has a chance to tie it in the waning seconds, and it goes post to post and dances around that goal line, you can't make up that kind of drama. It lived up to the hype. You know, the Minnesota State Boys High School Hockey Tournament has always had some magic to it. This year, though, I mean, it was off the charts. It was incredible. I love to see the building full, too, and it's, 
the because of the fact that right now there's we're dangerously tiptoeing on a line of more kids seem to be in a hurry to leave and there's yeah if you want to play in the NHL Minnesota high school hockey might not be the path and I couldn't disagree more with that but it was cool to see it full and it was cool to see some of the reactions every year from guys inside the wild room who are watching it or were there for part of it and they'll see are you kidding me there's a high school hockey tournament and the place is jammed to the rafters and media members that come to town and talk about it it's crazy I love to see it I love to see it at this juncture in where high school hockey sits but I'm just kind of thinking in my head about the uh, the next time you and I crossed paths was also at a high school hockey game. Now you were coaching Moundsview. Yep. Playing at Roseville Arena. And again, we had the intermission interview set up with Coach Kevin Gorg to come and talk to us. And You're going to make and, it sound like I never won. Well, that's, <laughs> yeah. Well, you wound up in the broadcast booth because you lost in a section I understand game it, too. But, but, but yeah, so this, this particular game <laughs> was supposed to be a pretty good game. And I, I want to say it was a Was three, it? Yeah, it was you in Roseville. It was. It oh, was I thought a, you were talking about the Hill Murray game where we I kept the boys on no, the. No, that was against Roseville. No, it was Hill Murray. Uh, no, it was at Roseville Arena because that was our been. home rank. All right. So maybe it was Hill Murray. Bottom line is, it, it was like three zip after one, and again, Tarmo Kubitz goes down to the sidelines and he's waiting by the Zamboni door, and I'm kind of messing around with other things, and I hear in the headset, "Hey, Kevin never came over here." No, nope. I was like, "Well, what do you mean he didn't come over there? They have to. The Zamboni's on the ice." I look over. The whole Moundsview team is sitting in the bench with Kevin. The Zamboni's going around the ice. The other team's gone. They're yeah. in their locker room. And so our camera guy runs down and like, you know, Coach Gorg, they need you over there. And, oh, yeah, that's right. So here comes Kevin running across the ice while the Zamboni's going by to do this interview. And he says, well, those guys embarrassed me in the first period. So I said, I'm going to embarrass them and make them sit right here in the bench. So left his team in the bench for the entire intermission. Well, Hill Murray had had the best of us for a few years, and my theory was these guys were afraid. And so we go out, and it actually was 4 nothing. You guys are bad luck. Um, so yeah. it's a full house at Roseville Arena, and we literally go out there, and we are playing as poorly as we can possibly play. And my exact, you know, the, the buzzer rings, Hill Murray leaves because they're the visitors, and then a part of our team starts leaving. I grab the cap, and I'm like, hey, go over there and grab those guys. Get them back on the bench. I might have said a couple other words in there, but... Anyway, bottom line is he went and grabbed the guys, and they're all looking at me like, what are we doing? So back they come. They get on the bench, and I go to the front of the bench, and I said, here's the deal. You're going to embarrass me. You're going to embarrass your families and embarrass your school by not even going out there and competing. You're not going to go hide in the locker room. You're going to stay right here, and you're going to be sitting this bench for the next 15 minutes while the ice gets cleaned and think about how you've played, and maybe the next period you'll earn your way back into that locker room you can go hide. I was upset. Clearly, I was mad. And... Ended up losing the game, I think, 8-5. So we got back in it, kind of. But it's the only time I ever kept my team from the locker room. And we got that interview done with Tarmo. I didn't want yeah, to leave Tarmo hanging. I remember, I'd, I think it was that week. might have been. I don't remember if it was that game or another game, but I had been trying to get a hold of you for about a week to get some information on your team. <laughs> and this is pre-cell phone. You know, you had, to, you had to fax stuff back and yeah, forth to each other. And, tricky. And so finally, I hadn't got anything. The game was the next day. So I just showed up. You were teaching detention at Irondale at I the was. time. And so, in school suspension, actually. These were the hard, yeah. hard knocks so of I, the, uh, Irondale know, High. 1994 or 5, somewhere in that neighborhood. And I think about it today. Like, I couldn't oh, yeah. do this. I just showed up at the school and went to the front. I said, where does Kevin Gorg teach? Oh, down in room, <laughs> you know, 822 or whatever. So I'm just wandering the hallways of the school until I find this room. Down in and, the basement, of yep, course. Down in the basement. I walk in, and he's sitting at the desk with the newspaper, and his kids are, well, let's just say none of them were focused on anything that had anything to do with school. I don't know what was going on. It, and I walk over, and he's like, what are you doing here? I said, I've been, for a week, I've been trying to get a hold of you to get these stats, and gets out a piece of paper and just starts writing down numbers. I had, a lot of I, minuses. Right, and I was <laughs> like, I, those can't possibly be accurate, but I don't even care. We're just going to go with them because that's all. That's all I got. And before the hockey hub, it was before the hockey hub. But uh, so then I, I, we teased a little bit the story of how you became a broadcaster. That was a couple, that was 1996. He's coaching at Moundsview. They're playing White Bear in the first round of the sectionals. Moundsview's the four seed, White Bear's the five. White Bear was not good that year. They were like eight and 16. We swept them during the regular season. Yeah. And so I had gone to Kevin and Mike Schwartz, who was a coach at White Bear. And I said, hey, whichever one of you guys loses that first round game, 
come and do TV with me for the rest of the section week. We we had like eight broadcasts in four nights or five nights, a couple double headers, and yeah, we'll, we'll both do it. Well, Kevin, I don't think thought he was going to be a broadcaster that week, and Tarmel Kubitz was going to go down and be our sideline reporter. And so they play White Bear in the first round, and White Bear wins, uh, one goal game, and. As they're walking off at Aldrich Arena, I was standing down there because we were going to interview people yeah, to use our next. Yeah, you were standing down there, all right, with a big old smile on your well, face. No, I, no, but no. I, but it wasn't. I, I, I well, didn't know you well enough then. To, yeah, you did. Uh, well, I knew you a little bit, but I didn't know you well enough. Like now, I would have a oh, huge uh, smirk on my sure face. Sure, you would. <laughs> but back then, it was. I just was there. We were there to tape interviews with the winners For to sure. use in our next broadcast. And as Kevin walks by, he said, "Guess you got your damn analyst." And <laughs> and so that week ended up being one of the great weeks of high school hockey we've ever watched we that white bear team incidentally beat hill murray the next round they were number one in the state and and white bear upset him in overtime but so kevin became an analyst we just saw mike schwartz on hockey day this year he was one of the organizers at white bear and i asked him you ever wonder like what would have happened if you would have lost that game and said i'd be traveling with you doing minnesota (laughs) wild games right now he probably would and he he would have been good but but it's funny because then it, it was kevin was great he was a natural and we had a great week, and I think it was that season. I was doing the high school tournament on the radio, and I said, hey, why don't you come and do the ra- the turning with me? A couple of years later, we're doing some games on TV. Why don't you come and do these games? I got the job doing Minnesota Gopher pre- and post-game shows. I was like, hey, how about I bring Kevin Gorg? And they're like, who the hell is Kevin Gorg? I said, just trust me, he'll be good. And so it's been like each step of the way. It never Actually, happened, probably, yeah. you should probably – might owe me some commission, some agent commission yeah. or something. Sure. On Although this. there are plenty of nights when I've done this, <laughs> right? And exactly. Come we'll, you call, out. we'll just call we'll it. We'll call even. it a wash. All right. All right. So we'll get. But now I want to get back to the what's ahead for the wild. So if you guys have questions, come on up and join us. I know that's we don't have a huge crowd here tonight, but the microphone's over here. We have worst seats in the house T-shirts. Brandon has been known to be a little loose with those. So yep, just uh, help yourself and but come on up and ask if you have questions. Otherwise. We'll chat a little bit about what's ahead because you look now, and I, this year it's amazing. Boston's got their spot locked. They're going to be the top seed. They've clinched their division. They're going to clinch their division. The other three divisions are wide open, and the seeds anywhere in the West, any team, just about any one of the eight, could still finish conceivably number one or number eight. I think we're getting close to knowing who the eight are going to be. Calgary and Nashville would need a a pretty remarkable run to jump in at the bottom. But I think when you, yeah, I guess Winnipeg maybe isn't locked yet, but you look at this, it's going to work. This is going to be exciting because a lot of times by this point, you're saying, if you get in, these are the two or maybe three teams you could face. Minnesota right now could legitimately win the division and face a wild card. They could be a wild card and face one of the two division winners. They could finish two or three and be up against Colorado or Dallas in some way, shape, or form. They're almost every team that's in the West race is still a potential playoff opponent for Minnesota. It's going to be crazy. I mean, it's going to change on a nightly basis. It's so you know jumbled right now. The Wild are one point out of first. Every night's going to matter, and I think that's a good thing. I, I think if you're looking at this pragmatically as a fan of the Minnesota Wild, knowing what lies ahead, every game's going to matter. And this team seems to be thriving in this scenario because they come through a stretch of hockey you go back a month after that horrible loss to Colorado where they outshot them like 43 to 18, it would have been real easy for them to go away, and they haven't gone away. Now that the motivation is still there, that's going to keep them churning along. And you factor in that likely this weekend we'll get to see Jonas Brodin in one of these two hockey games. Marcus Foligno continues to trend like he'll be back at some point fairly soon. And then the elephant in the room is right when it gets to be go time, when you really want to peak that final week and change and get your team ready to go, put them together, and now we're going to make our push to get into the playoffs playing our best hockey, you get 97 back. And what could have been a devastating injury that night we were in Winnipeg, and I was ice level and I did not look good, might end up being a great silver lining because not only do you give this guy the rest he needs with the way he plays and the minutes and the physical play and all that stuff that gets torn in there, but now you get some other guys a chance to elevate their game a little bit and get some confidence with what they can do on the offensive side of things I think all boats could possibly rise. This is a this is a team that's poised, I think, to not only make the playoffs, but unlike, you know, again, what we've seen in the past where, okay, let's just get in. This team isn't just looking to get in. I think they have a legitimate chance to still win this division. Well, it'll be interesting because the the numbers for that first 10 games of this 14-game point streak, 
the style of play was conducive to the playoffs. I don't know that the numbers were sustainable. A 96.5 save percentage, right. you're not going to do that. And But they've shown now in these last four, they've scored, what, 21 goals in the last four games. They had 19 in the first 10 <laughs> of the stretch. So, And granted, the four games have been against, other than Winnipeg, non-playoff teams. you got to prove that you can score against some playoff teams, I still believe. But at least now you've got a team that's probably starting to gain some confidence that way. I look at it and think it's a team that might be better suited to be a more difficult out in the first round of the playoffs. Last year, they were a little loose, and St. Louis took advantage of that. Now they've shown, they've proven that they will buy into a, we can beat you by keeping the puck out of our net rather than trying to fill your net. Last year, what wasn't sustainable was the comebacks, the extra attacker goals. And sometimes in the playoffs, you don't get to outscore your opponent. It's a different game. It's called differently. It looks different come playoff time. To your point, this is a team now that has four lines that can defend, not just score. This is a team that's got a blue line that if they're healthy, and you look at their top four, you look at what Middleton's developed into and who Spurgeon is, Elmas playing his best hockey in years, along with Brodeen when he gets back. That's a pretty formidable top four. And then I go back to the coaching. Like, Dean Evison and this coaching staff are unbelievably good at figuring out exactly how to win. They evolved into a team that stunk defensively in the first month of the season to who they are in the last month of the season here that we've been able to watch, where they do nothing but defend and be hard to play against. Their special teams have improved markedly. That was a big off-season focus point for this coaching staff. I'm a believer in Dean Evison. I'm a believer in these coaches. And I think the team, most importantly, they buy in. So they are able to adapt the way they play. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call is always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. And if you want to get your dream home, sell your home stress-free with a guaranteed offer from Chris Lindahl Real Estate. There are no showings, no decluttering, no repairs, and no stress. It's the easy way to sell your home. They keep you in control so you can sell your home fast. You can pick your closing date and move when it's convenient for you. To find out what your guaranteed offer cash would be, there's no obligation. Just go to chrislindahl.com or call 763-401-SOLD. Again, that's chrislindahl.com or uh, call 763-401-SOLD. You can close with confidence and start packing, and terms and conditions apply. Hey, it's Anthony LaFanta here to tell you about Kowalski's. And normally when we talk about Kowalski's, we talk about the steaks, seafood, the fresh produce, the cheese and salami selections that they have, and all those are great. But one of the more underrated parts of Kowalski's is their wine shop. Can't tell you how many times we host a dinner and we'll have great food, and then the wine pairings will be perfect, and somebody will ask me, well, where do you go to get your wine? And they're surprised often when I say Kowalski's. But they're knowledgeable, their selection is terrific. It may look like a small wine shop, but the unique combinations that they get and the knowledge that I've found that their wine salespeople have about what pairs well with what kind of food has been terrific. So if you're checking out and you're picking up your food for your great meal and you just want the perfect wine pairing, swing into the wine shop at Kowalski's. If you're going to have a great meal, you got to start with the best ingredients. And for that, I go to Kowalski's. Come on up and uh, give us your question. You may, if you made the drive, you deserve a, co- you deserve a co-hosting spot. But uh, Well, I was just uh, kind of to add on to your discussion about the defensive end and what the team has done defensively, I've been fascinated by how the team has changed, how the whole dynamic has changed since Kirill has been out. I mean, we've seen this lockdown team, unbelievable goaltending, uh, stole several games where I think, thought we got completely outplayed, but the goaltenders were amazing. <clears throat> Kirill's been out, and then all of a sudden we've seen high-scoring games with seemingly very little defense. So, <laughs> And I'm not sure if that's exactly what's Seems going backward, on. but I'm, doesn't it? I'm just very curious to hear what your guys' take in or take is on 
how things are going right now and, and what that's all about. Yeah, I think what – and it's an interesting point because I asked Wes the same question when we were in San Jose. And I said, I think one of the things we'll have to watch is do they wind up in a spot where they have to defend differently because they never have the puck? So when Kirill's playing 20 minutes a night, eight minutes of that, it feels like, is spent in the offensive zone with his line in possession of the puck. And that's a part of why they've defended so well. Because take eight minutes off the clock every night that you're not defending. They, ha- they never had the puck in San Jose. San Jose had it all night long. And so with that, I think what happened is teams that were maybe more in possession of the puck you're also facing some teams that are pretty loose on the back end. San Jose is not a great defensive club. Arizona's defensive core is their weak link. St. Louis is a mess in their own zone. So now when they're coming, they're coming, they're coming, and all of a sudden the chances going the other way are odd man rushes and defensive breakdowns. I think it, I think it goes hand in hand. I think, number one, they haven't had the puck like in the grinded-out forecheck style that they've had. It's been more wide-open, off-the-rush kind of chances because they've been defending more. And so when the other team is is taking some chances offensively, you're getting better looks the other way. That's that's what it seems to be with me. I'm with you, and I think this weekend will be much more of a measuring stick. I think when you're playing Arizona and San Jose and St. Louis, you get a full sense of the offensive security you might have without number 97. I think this weekend, especially on Saturday when Boston comes to town, you're going to have to get back to the way you were playing before these last four games. You're going to have to get back. Stand out of the penalty box, limit it to maybe one or two penalty kill situations. You're going to have to play a tight, smart game without the puck, and you're going to have to go zone to zone. You're not going to outskate the Boston Bruins. If you can do that and still continue to win, that, that'll be, I think, for, for me, a real confidence booster that this team can adapt. They can't play the way they played in San Jose and beat Boston or Washington this weekend. So I think they're going to get back. I think tomorrow's practice day will be over there at Tria Rink good day today to give the boys a day off get back to that focus point because it's a little bit of fool's gold right now you watch the way well, that look game at the three out. goaltenders they played even right. just start there reimer vamelka and then bennington and you got three guys who have been Hell about a mess stunk the night we now they're going to face the best goaltenders in the league in boston tomorrow either one of them because they're they're the, they're the top save percentage top defensive team in the league so that it'll be a test no. A good measuring stick, and I think a, a good way to kind of reset the hockey team because it's been fun to see them outscore some of these teams. You're not going to continue to win games 8-5, to five, especially this weekend. And you're going to play a Boston team that just plays at a high level and a Washington team that's in complete desperation mode. So I'm going to use these next two games as a, as a let's get back to who we were, let's get back to playing the game the right way, and let's see how good we are. I think the Boston game is huge just from a confidence perspective. To let this team, you know, remind themselves that even without some of these key players, we can still compete with anybody. I go back to when they played Boston way back in the first couple weeks of the season. They played a hell of a good game at TD Garden. I think they lost either an overtime or a shootout, but it was a great hockey game. Minnesota went toe-to-toe with that team, and, you know, Boston was basically unbeatable for the first three, four months of the season in their building, and the Wild nearly pulled that off. You know, I I agree with the – I mean, it makes sense to me with so much – less uh, offensive zone time that we'd be giving up a lot more goals but yet on the flip side of that we're scoring a lot more goals which kind of kind of uh surprises me but it's been been fascinating to see and i'm really hopeful that this unfortunate loss of krill does a lot for the rest of the team to kind of pick their level game up and and hopefully the overall package come time for playoffs is uh that much more ready to play yeah i think it's a it could be it could work out that way the other and the other thing that we didn't really talk about with these injuries is, and grab whatever size shirt is the proper size there, um, is the fact that right now, because of this run, I mentioned it earlier, I think they're 11 points clear, the first team out right now, which is Nashville. Nashville's got a couple games at hand, but so even if you call it nine or 10 points clear with 14 to go, that's, that's almost impossible. They've got three in hand. If they won all three, it'd be six points, right? And Yeah, and it, but even that, to make up, you got to win all three to right. get, and then still make up six points in 14 isn't easy. But it, what it allows them to do is be patient with Brodeen, be patient with Duhane, be patient with Felino, be patient with Kaprizov, and not have to force these guys back because if you don't win tonight, your playoff spot's in jeopardy. And so I think it's been great that they've been able to be as patient as they have with these guys and will be able to be patient with these guys for the remainder of the season to make sure that, you know, those nagging, 
lower body injuries that we've seen over the years where a guy comes back maybe thinking he feels great and all of a sudden the first time you push off hard out of a corner, you tweak it again, I think they can be, that will that should be a, a good advantage, good bonus for them and down why, the stretch. why rush Kaprizov back? If this continues and you have that cushion and you're in a good position, let's go. Let's just play out the four weeks from the time that he got that injury up in Winnipeg. There is no reason to rush him back. Yes, you want to give him a couple games at the end of the regular season, but you do not need to rush Kaprizov back. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Krill being out right now, I think it's a blessing in disguise. 100% teams developing, but my real questions are about penalties. So just like the last four games, you got a guy sitting on Hartman for 15 seconds. You got a coach that challenges the uh, goalie interference call and is denied, and then he refuses to throw the next game or next situation that happens because he's afraid that it'll be overturned as a penalty. Can you shed a little light on what actually happens between a coach and the refs during the game? I think it starts with the guys that are in the situation room or the you know the replay room, our video coaches, where they they're in constant contact with the coaches on the bench. And so when they see something where they think there's an offsides or a goalie interference, they get in the air. Is it Darby? Yes. And then Darby gets in the air of Dean. There's no question. Dean even was candid in our post-game presser that he was 100% sure on that, on that challenge, that he yeah. thought it was going to be overturned. And then the next question was, well, now are you going to be gun-shy? And he was candid and said, maybe. Because you don't like yeah, to get that penalty said, on the back end. We can't challenge anymore. Yeah. And, and I thought last night's play was a perfect example of why. He is so afraid right now to, even on a play that looked as obvious as last night's, the, the collision. Even the Florida. analysts on TNT or whatever yeah, was right. like, he should have. And, and I think it's, it isn't just Dean. You listen to coaches around the league. It, it's one of, I was surprised it wasn't a bigger topic at the GM's meeting because every coach that we cross paths with refers to it as, we have no idea what's interference anymore. And no idea when we should challenge or not challenge. Offsides is a little different, but and even offsides, they've had a few that they thought they were going to win that they've lost. But Dean, I don't think we'll see him challenge another goaltender interference unless, unless it's it is blatant. unless it is. And although he thought the one in San Jose was blatant, and it, I did, and it was. I I thought it was sixty forty in favor of the goaltender interference. I didn't think it was like hundred percent. Yeah, it was, and I didn't see it live, but when we watch the replay and you see Stick. Fleury get yanked back, yep. he covers that puck. He does. For sure. But the one in St. Louis, I agree with you. And so it'll be interesting to see how coaches handle this, especially heading into the playoffs, because I think before next season, there will probably be some more clarity that will be discussed within the, the league's rules committees and everything to, to make sure, hey, we're gonna, this is how we're going to define it. It probably needs to be more clearly defined. And, and coaches need to be instructed a little bit on what they're going to call and what they're not. I think I shared on a recent show with, we were out there for the broadcast meetings. I don't think it was this year's meeting. It was a previous year, but the, they played a couple clips that they had shown to general managers. So we had a room of, I think he said eight general managers or maybe 10, and they showed them eight or 10 goalie interference plays. And they said, all right, how many think this is interference? How many think it's not? And he said, we showed him these clips. Not one of them was unanimous. And it, so it, he said it was, most of them were six to four, seven to three. So there weren't even nine to one for the most part. So he said, when people watch it, and a lot of times, no matter how objective they think they're being, they're watching it through the eyes of one team. And he said, what looks obvious to one is very rarely obvious to the guy on the other side. And I just think they need a little more clarity on on what they're going to call, what they're looking for, because these coaches feel helpless right now. And as you head into the playoffs, are you going to pull the trigger on a challenge at a key point in a game and risk putting yourself a, a man short? It's going to be tough. I, I just I'd be shocked if Dean challenges unless unless a goaltender gets run over from about <laughs> the blue line in uncontested. I don't think we're going to see him challenge. All right, uh, another penalty question is this is a novice question. What defines on a breakaway when the player getting penalized, what determines whether or not it's a penalty shot or a two-minute penalty? Free and clear on the breakaway, I've always thought if it's a 
100% like he is open, he is clear. Because you see those semi-breakaways that start from the side. And Where there's contact, in. yeah. If he's clear on a breakaway and you're taking away what would be just like that situation on a penalty shot and you trip the guy, hook the guy, whatever you do to the guy, then it's a penalty shot. And that's why there's some gray area because right. very rarely is a breakaway just the guy gets the bucket center ice and is in. There was clear. one earlier this year there was a penalty shot against Minnesota, and I don't remember the opponent, but it, I was shocked when they called it a penalty shot. And after the game, Dean was like, I, I, I would have never thought that was going to be a penalty shot. Truth is, I'm not sure what's better for your team defensively. Depends on what time of the game and what the situation yeah, is. Yeah, because there are some times where I think the penalty shots this season, the shooters are a little bit under 30%. The last time I looked, 27.2 or something like that. Well, if you've got a penalty kill that's 80%, you'd rather be shorthanded. But if you've got a penalty kill that's 70%, Give the guy the penalty shot and let's see what happens. Plus, I don't have to be shorthanded for two minutes and let the momentum of the game change. Yeah, might it, be who the guy is too. And if you look at Colorado's power play. I think in the last three weeks, their power play is like thirty-eight percent. It's one of their non-superstars on a on a breakaway. You take him down, take yeah, your chance stopping him on the yeah, penalty shot right. rather than face that power play with all those stars. So we were talking a little bit about the potential opponents and most likely opponents for Minnesota. I mean, it would be great to see him win the division. They're very much in it. They're a point behind Dallas. I, I think the most likely spot they finish is second or third in the division. When it means Dallas or Colorado becomes their first-round foe. Dallas has been tough on the wild. Colorado, I still think, might be the best team in the league, the best team in the West, if they get all their guys healthy and who knows if they will or not. Any preference from you, like a matchup you'd rather see for Minnesota early? Might not be the bad time to get Colorado in that first round. Well, and if Landeskog isn't back, and that's still a big question mark, he's a huge part of their team, both on and off the ice. They had that cup run last year. It's hard to repeat, even though Tampa's tried to prove that wrong the last few seasons. The Wild are built to beat an offensive juggernaut, and that's what Colorado is. They will beat you with speed, and they will beat you with skill. I'm torn. Because I think if you're going to get through Colorado, the best time to play them is in the first round. If they get that train rolling, they get some of their players back and, and really healthy, do you really want to see them in the second or third round? So maybe you want to play them in the first round, although I would love to see a matchup with Dallas. I know that Dallas has been tough on, on Minnesota. I still think in a seven-game series um, that the Wild can have success against that team. And I love their goalie. I love Jake Ottinger. I love what he did last year in a losing fashion against Calgary. He was the best player in that series, bar none. Still think that this team could find a way to beat Dallas in a series. Yeah, I agree. And the the only thing with Colorado is, to stay on the goaltending topic, you got Alexander Georgiev, who's had almost no playoff experience in his career. And first round might be the best time to to catch a guy who's in a playoff game, in a playoff series for the first time in his life, rather than once he gets his bearings and finds a way to win in the first round now second round he might just be now it's just another night at the rink i don't know i i I don't know much about him personally and what what his mental toughness or strength might be but never never would be opposed to facing a guy who's in his first playoff series the best case scenario in my opinion is winning the division because you likely get winnipeg and i'm gonna i don't see a way that the wild in a seven game series don't beat that hockey team I know Connor Hellebuck is an unbelievably gifted goaltender, but the Wild, time and time again, have been able to get after him. And as recent as just well, if this you can week. win the division, obviously, I think that's a no-brainer. Now you're going to get either Winni- probably Winnipeg or Seattle, Seattle, perhaps maybe Edmonton. I well, suppose this thing is still but, winnable. Like right. I, I mean, Colorado to me is still the favorite to pass us, both Dallas and Minnesota. They're rolling right now. They're winning again tonight. They're playing great. They're getting healthy. So they're they're the likely team to win the division. Now it comes down to. They do that fine. You still want to get in front of Dallas and get home ice, but maybe you fall into something. Maybe the Avalanche go through a week where they struggle. You're going to get to play them once in their building, granted, I think in another 10 days. But this thing is doable. I mean, the Wild have two with Chicago. They have Seattle at home. They've got some very winnable games. This weekend, you're catching Boston at the right time. You're, you know, you're getting Washington second of a back-to-back, but I think the Wild are a better team than Washington. So... I look at this pragmatically. I'm like, go for it. I mean, just go, even if you don't have Caprice after that final week of the season, 
you're playing well enough right now where you can win the division. We'll see if the goalies continue to put up these crazy numbers, but you're right there. You're one point behind Dallas. You've got 14 games. You're the hottest team in the league. Go for it right now. I mean, winning the division would be unbelievable. New trend going on with the Wild in all these interviews, too, by the way. The shirtless look. Is, <laughs> is any chance you're going to be joining no. these guys that way? 100% not going to happen. <laughs> uh, my family would not be too pleased with that. Ryan Reeves, though, last night killed it on the postgame show, shirtless on the bench. That was spectacular. I love the whole tarps off thing. Hi, I have actually a two-part question for you. So the first is Wild-related. So I'd like to know who you believe would be the Wild surprise impact player coming into the playoffs or the push for the playoffs? Ooh, that's an interesting question. Um, because it, it's hard to know, like, what... I, surprise is... Uh, like, for me, Jonas Brodeen's the most important player heading into one of these series, but I wouldn't say that's a surprise. So I would say a surprise impact guy might be Marcus Johansson because I think if Minnesota has success in the playoffs, their second, a second scoring line has to be a part of that story, and if it does, it's going to be his line with Erickson Eck and Boldy. I'll go Freddie Gaudreau because the more I watch this guy, the more I understand why Dean Evason adores him so much. He does every little detail to the highest level. When you get to the playoffs and that rink shrinks and special teams and face-offs and defending matter, he's the type of guy that can swing the pendulum because he does the little things so well. And if you get offense from a guy like that, and let's just page forward to what that third line might look like, it might have Felino, it might have Gustav Nyquist, who Bill Guerin brought in at the trade deadline. Freddie Gaudreau plays in a lot of big spots. Penalty kill, big face-offs, tight games. He'd be my guy. It's a good choice. Yeah. Okay, so now this is a personal question for you, Kevin. Oh, no. Oh, boy. Yeah, so I'd <laughs> like to know which you prefer announcing for wild games or for wiener dog racing, <laughs> and if you see this as a future career move for you to move into the wiener dog race circuit. I do love the wieners. Um, I'm not going to lie to you. There is nothing in my world that competes. Make sure you use that clip right there, Brandon. <laughs> Being on the gla- I, I will. I will be honest. You usually just get out of the way and let Kevin keep talking, and before you know it, he buries himself. There's nothing that compares to being rink level, ice level, on the glass, watching <laughs> NHL hockey, and then you page forward to the playoffs. And that's why it matters so much. Like, I love the Stanley Cup playoffs. When I was a kid, I would take these poster boards and get my markers out and put the brackets together and try to prognosticate what was going to happen in the playoffs. So when we get to the postseason, I'm on tilt in a good way. Like, I just can't wait to see how it plays out. And, yeah. When are you not on tilt? <laughs> I've known you for, like, what, tw- 25 years now? I'm strung 30 tight. years almost? Strung a little tight, but tonight I left extra early, <laughs> took it real easy on the roads. Um, but, no, I, I, game nights, he's right. I'm a mess. There was a few years back when we were playing in Arizona. Russo and I were in meltdown mode. He was trying to calm us down. It was a must win for Mike Yo's team. We were outside the playoff picture trying to get back in. And so we're having a meal at this yard house place right by the rink in Glendale where they used to play the Coyotes. And I lo- you can see I love food. And uh, it's obvious even on the podcast. But they, they brought the food and I, I couldn't take a – I was too this nervous. This was pregame. Yeah, yeah I was, it was a couple hours before face. I could not. Pushes his bowl away. He couldn't eat. He was so nervous. I was sick to my stomach. I was so nervous. Neither one of us have anything to do with the outcome of the game. I know. We're not coaching. I know. We're just showing up to talk about it. Feels different, though. And and the end of this story was that the two of them were like, oh, you are absolutely convinced this team's going to make the playoffs. (laughs) Russo got after. He threw his glasses down. He threw his glasses on the table. You get off the schedule and point to the games they're going to win. And I said, well, I think they'll win tonight. (laughs) They'll probably win tomorrow night in L.A. And. Sure enough, they did, and they ended up making the playoffs. But it was it was that fun. night. Neither one of them could eat. I had no bad. problem eating my pregame meal. <laughs> yeah, it was good. So yeah, that, great question. Thank you for do appreciate your presence. Well, so we have a lot you. of fun out of Canterbury. Yeah, make sure you come back sure. and see us this summer. <laughs> Will do. <laughs> no, we were going there. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least we got a great soundbite to promo the show. Well, it it. Uh, it Last call for questions. Otherwise, we're going to wrap up this week's show. We appreciate you guys making the drive out here, and please drive home safely. Appreciate the fans that come out. I really appreciate you on an off night making the trek up here. It's so much fun right now, though, just to to dissect the situations, the team, 
Um, it's a fun, fun team to be around. It's a fun team to watch. And, you know, here in Minnesota, we're, just, we're waiting and, and believing that at some point there's going to be a Stanley Cup run. When you factor in the, the Suter and Parisi situation and what they've dealt with here in the last two seasons, the fact that they set a franchise record last year in points, the fact that they're on the cusp of being in the playoffs again and look like I a win a division, I, playing $12 million under the cap, it's amazing. I, I have faith. Like, I, as, as half-empty as the glass can be in my world, I look at Bill Guerin, I look at this coaching staff, and I look at the young pieces that this team has, and I have faith, no doubt in my mind, that before Bill Guerin is done in Minnesota, before this coaching staff is done in Minnesota, there is going to be uh, a deep run and a Stanley Cup run. I 100% believe it. This is just the tip of the iceberg, and obviously having a guy like Kirill Kaprizov changes everything. It's not nearly as much fun to watch the games when he's not playing, but it sure is nice knowing that when the games matter the most here in another month, he will be there. Best player the Wild have ever had. Well, no question in what, my mind. What do you think of the Aquarius Home Services studio? This is a hell of a nice studio. The lighting is kind of in and out. But, yeah, uh, it's a little bit of a strobe light that we've had above <laughs> us most of the night here. That's it's the good. weather. It's right. all about the weather. Yeah. Well, that's where tonight's show originated. Our show is brought to you by our great sponsors from Kowalski's, Aquarius Home Services, installers of Connecticut Water Treatment Systems, Plumbing, Heating, and Cooling. Chris Lindahl Real Estate, Royal Credit Union, Moe's Tavern, and Bosch Law Firm. Thanks to Kevin for joining us. Thanks to you for coming out. We'll see you next time on Worst Seats in the House. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never going to win. Oh, but the world won't forgive. I do love the wieners. Um, I'm not going to lie to you.